Founders Talk, episode number 50. I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This show features in-depth, one-on-one conversations with founders. You can tune in live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Today is Wednesday. It's not 5 p.m. We're not live today. Today is not a live show, uh, but normally it is. So you can join that show every Wednesday on at 5 at uh, 5 by 5 And today I'm joined by Chad Pytel. Chad is the founder of ThoughtBot. And Chad, you, you probably wouldn't know it, but I'm a huge fan. You know, huge fan. So welcome Thanks to the so show. much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And I understand that you're, I didn't know until we actually started talking a little bit ago that you're actually a listener of this show, which is kind of neat too. I am. How can I not be? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I've, I've wanted to have you on the show for a while. I mean, I mean, I think uh, to preface the conversation we're about to have, I think that um, anybody listening to this that is a web developer um, looks up to what you guys have been doing at ThoughtBot for the last number of years. I mean, you guys lead it and kick butt at open source and have done for have done so for a while. You guys do some great products. You guys do some great work. And, man, like, you guys just kill it. So, Thanks I, so much. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's always great to hear that. It's, we just try, you know, ThoughtBot, what sets us apart is, I think, uh, that we're just developers and designers. And so it's always great to hear that. And we're just trying to always just do the best we can do. And so it's really nice to hear that because it shows that just the work we're doing is paying off. Yeah, it seems like you guys are like relentless to, to, the, to the attention to detail. And I mean, just everything you guys do just seems very well thought out. And it may seem accidental to some, but like I think you guys are really intentional about your, your goals and what you guys achieve, have achieved. So. But Everything I, we do is totally intentional. There are never any accidents. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so let's let's kick it off then. I mean, this is your first time on the show. Sometimes we've had uh, some founders back a couple of times, which I imagine over the course of this show we'll have you back again. But this is your first time here. So for those who don't know who you are, um, which is just a shame, but uh, how do you introduce yourself? Well, uh, my name is Chad Pytel. I am founder and CEO of ThoughtBot. And we build web and mobile applications. I often introduce myself as a software developer. Um, that's what I am. That's my history. And that's what I spend the majority of my time doing still. Now, I noticed that on, uh, on the ThoughtBot About page where it says, you know, your, your bio and stuff, you say, I'm a developer. You don't really uh, throw around titles, which I don't think is uh, common anyways these days, but... Um, I guess, why do you lean solely back on, on just that? Cause I guess you're just a developer. So I do it for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is that's what I love doing. I love creating things. And so, um, being able to do that and continue to do it is part of why I think we've been successful. Why I think I still love what I'm doing after 10 years. So ThoughtBot is 10 years old. And I also think it sets us apart as a company and makes the company better because as CEO, um, by setting boundaries of what people's roles will be and what my role will be and how much time I'll spend um, doing business stuff, doing development stuff, it causes us to be really intentional about the time we spend, the time we waste, um, and what I'm going to be spending my time on and causes us to prioritize not only the company, but me personally to prioritize my time and spend time. I think a lot of CEOs spend a lot of time working on things that aren't actually important. 
Um, and since I can only spend, you know, two, two and a half days a week uh, doing CEO type stuff, I don't have time to spend doing things that aren't important. It also causes us to ruthlessly outsource all functions which aren't important to our business. So uh, accounting, bookkeeping, CFO, all that stuff is outsourced. What uh, I guess that kind of dovetails a little bit into that, but what kind of things do you think, uh, as you mentioned, typical CEOs or some common CEOs doing things that they shouldn't be doing? What are some of those things besides maybe just the ones you mentioned? I think that it's a tendency to a lot of businesses want to create partnerships. And uh, I think partnerships are generally proven to be not very worthwhile. So partnerships would be an example uh, of, you know, where you're networking with people and you want to create synergy and opportunity. And, uh, boy, that would be really great to talk about a lot. Uh, and then nothing ever actually comes of it. Um, so that's just one example of something. And honestly, I think a lot of that is my perception. Uh, so, you know, my perception is that by not spending that time on things, I can focus on what's truly important to focus on. So making the company operate very efficiently, making sure the team is happy, um, and making sure that we have the best team that we can possibly have and making sure I focus intently on that. Can you give some examples of some of those things that you do that, uh, that other CEOs may not think is the wisest use of time? Well, a lot of what I do that I think really makes us compelling uh, is as a developer, I'm able to automate a lot of what my job might be or what traditional functions might be. So um, I was able to write, uh, to choose which HR system we're using and then write uh, a Rails app that allows someone, me, to enter in the basic details of uh, a new employee that we're hiring. And then from there, it creates all their accounts, enters them into the SaaS um, HR system we use, sends their employment contract via right signature, um, you know, automates that entire onboarding process and makes it super efficient and super straightforward. The emails to the new employee with their email address and password and all that stuff come from me. They get a, a personal welcome, which I would send anyway, but it all comes from me. And I think it would be very hard for uh, a more traditional CEO to put that system in place wow. and have it uh, work. Yeah, I mean, as, for the listeners, um, you saying it comes from me and, and kind of getting the grasp, that might seem like, oh, that's, that's nice, Chad. Thanks for telling us that. But, like, whenever you're on your about page, I mean, you don't just have a small handful of people anymore. Like, you'd mentioned that ThoughtBot's 10 years old. Uh, some of my earlier days, whenever I became first aware of what you guys were doing and whatnot, was um, I think it was still called Hop Toad, or even before it was around. Right. Um, yeah, I knew a, people, a few people in your team and whatnot, and just seen you at conferences and have been a fan of your work. But I think you might have had like I think maybe seven, maybe less than ten. And now, what is your team at now? Yeah. So we're we're including apprentices. We're at sixty three people now. Um, we have offices in Boston, which is where we started, San Francisco, Denver, uh, Stockholm, Sweden, and Philadelphia. And um, 
we started 2000 uh, or we ended 2005 with just under with about six people in 2008 we um, grew to uh, sorry in 2008 we grew to 19 people and it, at about 2008 2009 we actually made the decision that we were going to stay small that we were going to be a small cohesive team of experts who turned their attention to projects and just knocked them out of the park. And so we stayed at about 19, 20 people for uh, several years, three years, three and a half years until 2012. And in 2012, some things changed and we decided to grow. Hmm. And I can definitely get into that a little bit more. Yeah, um, I definitely want to talk into what the change was because you're right. I mean, for a number of years, you and it seems it seemed like from the outside so this is the first time I'm having a chance to actually have a conversation with you about some of these details but it always seemed very intentional to keep your uh like you had mentioned team small yeah. intimate kind of really laser focus on things you know small cohesive teams that um not co-work but co-worked uh, that work together so right. working in the same office was always a big deal even though there's a lot of uh talk in the software development world obviously about uh, being a distributed team and what the power is and having skills all over the world, but then you also have time zones and complexities and lack yeah. of relationships and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it always seemed like you guys were very intentional. What what was it that changed, I guess, in, in 2012? So in, in 2012, we had been, it had been a couple of years where we were intentionally staying a certain size. Uh, below 25 was what we said, but we were hovering right around 20. Um, and... 2012, we were coming up on the 10-year anniversary was going to be the next year. And I personally started to think, uh, uh, you know, that 10-year milestone was looming in my head. And I work with everyone here to instill a attitude of always being try trying to be better than we are now, um, always continue learning and changing and instigating change in everything we do. That can be anything from the way we write code to the way we build apps and the processes we use to the way the kitchen is organized or the way we do stand-up or just anything, just continual sort of relentless, never being satisfied, always trying to be better. And I think coming up on the 10-year uh, milestone the company, I, I was starting to evaluate you know, our progress and where we had come from and where we were going. And I realized that in terms of the company, in terms of my job and what the company was, I wasn't living up to the um, sort of the, what I had tried to instill in everybody else um, for what the actual company was. And uh, we, stay, we, we wanted to stay small because we believe that big companies breed mediocrity that they breed people who are satisfied with the status quo or believe they can't change it. It's, why do we do that that way? Oh, it's just, that's the way it's always been. Kind of, and that, in, yeah. you know, that, that just drives me crazy. So we were very me afraid too. of that happening. <laughs> me too. Yeah. And we wanted to avoid that. So staying small was one of the ways that we, we were certain that we could avoid so that. So it was a, like a fear-based behavior to stay right. small. Right, and so well, I guess you decided like, oh, let's change that. Why am I scared right. of growing? And you kind of right. reevaluated. 
Right. Instead of letting that fear stop us from doing anything, letting the fear guide us into making good decisions hmm. um, and, and sort of setting the guideposts for how we would operate and what we would do. How do you and make so decisions th- like this? Do you tend to, do you have a confidant? Do you have a mentor yourself? I don't really have a mentor, but I have a really great team of uh, people who work with me on the management team of ThoughtBot. So uh, Matt Jankowski, Dan Croak, Joe Ferris were the the COO, CMO, and CTO, respectively, of ThoughtBot at the time. Uh, They're also here, but we've added to that management team as we've added offices. Um, But you know, together we make up the core group of people. And it was really a discussion, not only that I was having with myself personally, but that eventually we had together. And so it affected Dan because he, when we decided to open San Francisco, he actually moved there to do it. Um, And so, you know, it was a matter of him also raising his hand and saying, yeah, I'll do that. I'm excited by that. Mm. Uh, I, I kind of feel like I definitely want to dive deep into the the directions you're heading with ThoughtBot, but I mm-hmm. kind of re- want to rewind for a second and kind of get a yeah. glimpse at, and since you're a listener of this show, you know, I like to talk about people's past and kind of figure out where they came from. So I think it's always unique, the histories we tend to have and how they influence our futures. Um, so, I mean, you didn't just, you know, wake up one day and boom, there's ThoughtBot, right? I mean, so where did all this come from? What made you even want to do what you're doing today? So I went to uh, a school called Worcester Polytechnic Institute. It's in Worcester, Mass. And uh, went there and got a CS degree and a degree in theater. And I applied to WPI, uh, early decision, uh, only one school. I only applied to WPI. Went there and visited one time and decided that it was the place for me. And I had always known that I wanted to do computer programming mm. uh, as long as I can remember. Started programming on like a TI-94A, uh, just typing in basic from the manual. Uh, and it was a great experience because I'm not old enough to actually like for the TI-94A to actually have been my first computer. But my parents bought it used for like $25 at a yard sale. And that's what I had. (laughs) And it was a great experience because I sort of got the experience of like super early 80s, late 70s, people who just like learned by the only thing that they could do was basic. Like you switched on the machine and it was just basic kind of thing. So I had that experience and it was the only experience I knew for a long time. I didn't have like a 386 until I was uh, maybe 16 or 17. And, uh, um, so I'd, I'd just been programming for a long time, knew that I wanted to do it, went to school for it. And while I was at WPI, met a great group of people who were my friends in theater and outside of school. And we also worked on CS projects together. And so, um, we all graduated. It was 2002 and this was after 2001, so obviously 2002 was after 2001, but yeah. the market crash in 2001 really ruined a lot of prospects for jobs. Um, so we all graduated with CS degrees, and we all had trouble finding a job. I was very fortunate to find a job at a medical billing startup company outside of Boston, 
and uh, got hired in a position I really wasn't qualified for at the time. It was manager of information systems. Um, and I'll get into why I was hired for that position, but the, the, really, in retrospect, it was because the, uh, the, the uh, person who was founding the company was looking to take advantage of people who didn't know what they were doing. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, but I got that job. It was a really great opportunity because it gave me experience and responsibility that was outside of what would be normal for someone with my experience and age. And uh, I ended up hiring uh, that group of people, a, a bunch of them, four of them. And we were the IT department. We did, uh, we set up the computers, we did normal IT department stuff, but we also were writing the medical billing software that this startup was uh, creating. And unfortunately, the founder of that company actually, not only was he taking advantage of us in that startup environment and getting us to work for very little pay, um, but he had a medical problem, which we didn't know about. Um, he was sort of manic depressive and he had something that is, I guess, called like uh, grandiosity disorder, mm. which meant that, uh, you know, I don't know all the specific medical details, but what it means or how it manifests itself is when an investor or uh, something was happening in his life, uh, so an investor might say, that sounds really interesting. I'll get back to you. He would hear and in his mind, the investment was already done. Oh my! Um, it's a terrible situation <laughs> yeah, to be really in terrible. when you're trying to uh, do a startup. <laughs> and so uh, we found I found out all this, you know, a, a year or two after everything fell apart. But uh, eight months later, everything really uh, fell apart very quickly, and uh, in that company, because you can only go so far when you don't actually have any money, yeah. or anything. No joke. Um, but that experience it taught us a lot, but it also really ruined uh i just was not in the mood to go out and do job interviews justify what i had done uh for the past eight months and the situation it was just you know i can sort of chuckle about it in retrospect but at the time i had gone several months without being paid it was you know it was pretty difficult for all of us about how old were you at this time then just to kind of get a gauge of your maturity yeah, I was, so it was one year out of college, so um, it was 2003, so I was 23. Okay. And um, so I, I, we had made, because I was manager of information systems, I had made a lot of contacts with other business owners or IT people or um, vendors. And so I said, I think I can make some calls and maybe we can start contracting as an IT department for small and medium-sized businesses. Um, you know, we're sort of all in the same boat. Let's see if, is, is that interesting to, to people? And they said that it was, so I made some calls, and we were actually able to sign a couple of small businesses who wanted us to come and set up networks, set up computers, um, and provide technical support for them. So in the early days, we did anything anyone would pay us to do with computers, we set up computers, networks. We helped people with Microsoft Word. and the big, But the biggest part of what we did was we built websites and web apps. And at the time, we used Perl, PHP, Java, uh, different things depending on what we were actually building. And uh, that, was in, so in, that was in 2003. Um, 
we went along for two years um, doing, like I said, anything anyone would pay us to do. And we were a group of five people, all equal partners. Um, and it's very hard to bootstrap a company. We had no funding and we all hadn't been paid in a while when we started the company. Um, it's very hard to bootstrap that. And so we had sort of gone along being very mediocre, not making very much money at all. Um, you know, I think the, 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 uh, the first year that we existed, I think I, I made like uh, less than $20,000. Hmm. Uh, but we were just out of school, very little expenses. So it was like, it was that's the perfect time to then. take the risk. Right. It sounds right. like it's, you know, if it's going to happen, that's the time to make it happen. Right. But after a couple of years of doing that and not really progressing very much, um, the other, uh, three of the other guys decided that they just wanted to go off and get a normal job. Hmm. And the reality was that that's really what they wanted all along. The, the dynamic of our relationship, we had known each other all through school. Um, we had worked together for a long time um, at the startup and with ThoughtBot for years. Um, I realized in retrospect that the dynamic of our group was that I was always in charge. I was in charge of the theater groups we did with them. And, you know, I was in charge of when we did our CS projects together. You know, I, I had sort of a leadership role. Um, and so we never were able to break out of that mold. And what I needed was partners that were equal and really in, in it for the business and to, to grow. So it was actually, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but one of the best things that ever happened to ThoughtBot was for them to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to step back from this. I'm going to go get a normal job. And it caused John and I to have the decision point of, okay, we're either going to walk away from this now, we can walk away and just get a normal job, or we're going to stick with it. So you've been saying we for a bit then. So this this business you formed that would do anything for anyone pretty much in IT, that was ThoughtBot? It was, yeah. It was called ThoughtBot. Okay. And then it was a it was a partnership. It wasn't a corporation at the time. Gotcha. And so who on the team now was part of that original team? Just John. Just John. Okay. So you've been yeah. John with been with John in this for since the start. Yeah. Yeah. He uh we've been together for a long time. We did uh <laughs> we did we did sketch comedy together in college. Uh, we did this job after graduating, and we've been doing ThoughtBot ever since. Oh. So I've been with John longer than I've been with my wife. <laughs> that's uh, So which John on the list is that, then? John Urich. Okay, that's what I thought. I wasn't sure. Uh, uh, his face looks familiar. I was thinking that he's definitely been around for a while. So um, Yeah, John's the original creator of Paperclip. Uh, he kicked that project off on a plane to RailsConf one day. And, uh, and, uh, and he used to be our CTO, but uh, a couple of years ago, he stepped down to just focus on being a developer and Joe stepped up and, and became CTO. It takes a lot of, a lot of, um, responsibility to not so much being a, like a, just a leadership role, but kind of to be responsible for all that. And sometimes you just, you know, you just enjoy being a developer You know, you don't need to have the management of other people and what they're doing and their success right. on your shoulders. Right, and we started to get a feeling for what we were going to be doing in the future, yeah. And what we needed out of the CTO and what we were looking for as we grew was going to be different. 
Um, and so it was a perfect time to make that transition. It seems like you've got some people, I mean, through your history, that have been responsible about what they can and can't do. You know, at, at least responsible to what they want to do and having respect for the company enough to say, I'll either step down or I'll move to this other position because this better fits me. Yeah, I think that your way of, of phrasing it, that, that re- responsible to what they wanted to do, is the trigger. So at Thapa, we talk a lot about doing what makes us happy and being in it for uh, things that we truly believe. And, um, you know, if you're not happy, we really try hard not to do things that don't make us happy. Uh, that's why we outsource so much stuff uh, in terms of, like, all the business end of things but also it permeates to through to the clients we work with and the projects we work on and the way we conduct those projects and the relationships we have with everyone that's involved um because we're not in it just for that one thing and it's always important to realize that that there's always the next thing and if you're not doing your current thing to your you know fullest potential to your fullest happiness then you're never going to do the next thing that way either. Yeah. So I guess at what point then in this, uh, this history then did ThoughtBot begin to look a little bit like what it currently looks like? Now, maybe not so much the five locations and right. you know, growing and all that, but a little bit closer to the kind of company we know, which is right. primarily a rail shop, application development, and doing yep. a little less of anything anybody would pay us to do right. kind of thing. It was really triggered by the uh, those other founders leaving and John and I needing to uh, make the decision to stay. Because that that decision needing to be made intentionally caused us to say, okay, if we're sticking this out, there needs to be a reason why. Um, and we need to be much more intentional about what we're doing here and the reasons why and the way we're organized. So um, little things like we, you know, actually incorporated and and started to uh, do things from a business perspective in a much more official way. Um, but also choosing the way that we would work and the people we would work with suddenly became much more intentional. And we started saying no to more things or yes to things like test-driven development and realizing, no, we, we want to do test-driven development. Even though we've never really done it before, we believe that it's the way it should be done, and that's what we want to do. And starting to make those conscious decisions, um, starting to say no to more things, actually led us to be more successful. Um, and ultimately, that's what led us to making the decision to switch to Ruby on Rails. We had been using Ruby on Rails when it was like 0.13, 0.14. Very early, we had done some projects with it, and we really liked it. And um, I was back on a Perl project uh, after working on a Rails app for um, right when Rails hit 1.0. And I just remember walking in. And I, was, I was sort of banging against the Perl project, trying to make it look like Rails, and I realized that something was wrong with that equation. <laughs> so I just walked into it's the next Rails. room and said, you know this Rails thing, John? What if we just switched to it? <laughs> and um, it was one of those ideas that was just like, just so crazy, it, it might work. Right. Um, but also it was one of those, it was very much in line with what we were doing at the time, which was having an opinion 
and not being and, and sticking to it and being intentional about what we were doing because if we weren't this whole thing wasn't worth doing and that's why we uh, switched to rails and and we were very fortunate because you know we to be honest we largely made that decision just because it was what we wanted to do uh, we didn't know whether rails was going to be popular or successful really at the time and so, but we were very fortunate. We were one of the first consulting companies that sort of works like we do and do, does what we do to switch to Rails, um, which uh, allowed us to contribute to the community and make a name for ourselves and ride that wave of popularity up. You say, you know, having an opinion, it seems, I, I think that uh, those who know of ThoughtBot, even just a little bit, um, would probably consider you guys opinionated and that's part of the reason of your rise to success that's part of the reasons why the open source libraries you guys put out there kind of set a standard as well as like set a benchmark for others to to kind of to to drive towards and right. uh, reason why they're even used so i mean it sounds like that is a pretty decent crux in the in your story too it is and we try hard there's a fine line between being opinionated and you know, being stubborn. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> and so we try really hard to, uh, I don't even know where the saying came th- from, but I often find myself saying like strong opinions loosely held mm-hmm. and realizing that there's always a different or better way of doing something and we just haven't found it yet. And so the way that we do things now is the best way that we know how, but if tomorrow there's a better way, we have to aggressively pursue that and that'll be our new best way and our new opinion. Um, and when we have that, we'll hold it really strongly and communicate it and try to tell the world about it. And with the same time, we're looking towards the next thing, the next step. So let's let's go back to the moment where uh, you had this profound notion of using Rails and you look over to Johnny and say, why don't we just switch this? What was that moment like to... Uh, it seems like it's definitely set a thread for your future to where you're at now. So... Can it kind of talk about how profound that moment was and what it meant to like bet on what Rails was going to do for your business and I guess your happiness too in your jobs? Right. Um, it probably sounds more profound than it was at the time, <laughs> our, especially since our business was so small and we had very little to lose. Um, and you know that's one of the reasons that why we made the decision because. You know, we were in a mode where it, un- unless we're choosing things that we want to do, it's not worth doing. And that was because we had very little to lose. Yeah. Um, and so practically speaking, it, it meant that we started to do projects in Rails. It wasn't that, you know, the work we were doing was building normal websites, some applications, but mostly CMS type stuff, pretty simple CRUD apps, those kinds of things. Um, that's what we were doing at the time, and we were doing it for very long hours, um, and very little money. Um, so the stakes were were really quite low. Um, I think when you're in the situation, it, it seems like the stakes are higher. But um, at the same time, we did realize that the stakes were pretty low, and that's why we were willing to go after it. So I guess, what are some of the, the days, I guess? I mean, I guess the way I tried to paint that question was... Um, you know, obviously, you guys are still building real sites today, right? I mean, right. technology's yep. changed a bit more, but and there's more available out there, and you guys are doing, you know, other things as well. But um, like getting into iOS and whatnot, which does have a Rails backend in most cases. Um, 
but it seems like it's definitely set this tone. Not so much that Rails yeah. had everything to do with it, obviously not, but um, that right. you guys are red. You got your colors have been yeah. red. I'm kind of yeah. curious too when the bot came around. The the, the name Thoughtbot like was. I mean, it, now it seems. Um, like an icon, you know, and all things seem great when you only know them now, but you yeah. know, kind of going back to the future or back to the past, what was it like naming the company Thoughtball? Was there a lot of intention around it? I was just like, ah, oh, it sounds kind of neat. So our colors have, our color has always been red. Red is my favorite color. Um, and so our colors have always been red. So the fact that we ended up using Ruby uh, yeah. is a total coincidence okay um unless i happen to choose it because of my favorite color is red and so i chose ruby could be yeah um and the name thoughtbot uh you know this was back when we were doing java the the group of people who started thoughtbot there's a java when you name like classes and and things has a tendency to um well we did ejb enterprise java beans and you you would you have a pattern of naming things like if you had a customer object or a customer bean, um, you would name things like the the object that manages the collection of customers might be called customer manager. Mm. And we never did that. We always called it bot for I don't know some crazy fun reason just because. Um, so we would have if we had a customer bean or a customer it would be managed by a customer bot. And so we built all these systems that had, it was like order bot, customer bot. We just took all these words and put bot at the end. So we had been doing that for years. We, you know, And then so when it came time to name the company, we had a lot of ideas. Uh, we had a lot of them started with thought. Um, so we had like thought faucet and brain things and, so and someone just said, "How about Thoughtbot?" I don't even know who it was, and uh, it sort of stuck. Uh, sort of, sort of stuck, um, and we liked it, and it clicked, and that was it. Um, it's actually pretty hard to pronounce when, when you say it on the phone. <laughs> People don't always get what you're saying, um, so we probably could have chose, chosen a better name, but it's worked pretty well for us so far. And doesn't the the bot have a name? His name is Ralph. Uh, Ralph, okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> and when did that name come about? Uh, I think, so I'm pretty sure Matt Jankowski named him. And uh, it was just a random thing. Matt has this thing for calling people, like, things Ralph or Bob or, <laughs> you know. And just, you know, he started calling the robot Ralph and... Uh, we liked that. It had a personality. It was nice to have the name. And uh, so it, it stuck, too. How often do you get asked questions about the significance, I guess, of you know the name of ThoughtBot and then also Ralph the Bot being your chief evangelist, as you say on your About page? <laughs> uh, actually, we get the, I get the question a lot. And I, I, always, I always sort of feel like I'm letting people down because it's not that great of a story. It's not like, da-da-da. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of neat, though. I mean, the... I mean, there's definitely been other bots out there, and I don't mean other thought bots, but other people who may have looked up to you or wanted to mimic a little bit. And so right. this bot thing kind of caught on for a bit there too. So I know you even have uh, you even have Ralph's shape trademark too, don't you? We do. Um, we we went through. So we got everything that we were doing trademarked a couple of years ago because of what we went through with Hop Toad. Yes, yeah, that's true. So. 
that triggered uh, us trademarking a bunch of stuff that was original to us. Uh, so for, for those, I don't want to take it for granted that people know. Uh, so we built and launched a product that was the one of the first exception catching applications. And there's a bunch of them now, but um, and it was called Hop Toad. And we launched that in 2007. We ran it uh, for several years. And one day I opened the mail and uh, there's a, a cease and desist letter saying that a uh, very big corporation uh, has a trademark on the word toad uh, as it relates to software for developers and uh, that they wanted us to stop uh, calling our product Hop Toad and change the name. And uh, at first I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, we've been doing this for years. Uh, you know, how can it possibly uh, conflict? Uh, we got to fight this. And, and then uh, our attorney took a look at the situation and uh, calmed me down <laughs> and said, you know, the reality is, is they have a valid trademark on Toad and that, yes, your software does different things. But it's both software for developers, and a judge looking at this is going to look at it and say, you know, they're not going to be able to tell the difference significantly. And that's what matters in trademark disputes. The whole thing is proving that someone could be confused. Yes, yeah. And, uh, and so we had to change the name. There's some news headlines I haven't caught up with yet, but there's been some recent talk about trademark policies changing and stuff. And, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's really subject to whether or not it's it's not black or white right it's it's an opinion right it's not at all yeah yeah so that's a bummer and man. so that caused us to uh trademark our name trademark our logo um and uh and the reason why is just, is to to fill in the gaps the reason why is when you trademark something you do a search to see whether you can get the trademark on something and so that is a very actually quite healthy exercise when naming something it's not too expensive um i think our attorney i don't want to charges i think 750 dollars or 500 dollars to do a trademark search um and what that does is it's a really thorough search of all the potential conflicts with naming something and so i used to believe that it just didn't matter um you know you could name your product pretty much whatever you wanted if you just searched in google yeah and didn't really see anything that conflicted nobody owns and a now, dot com i could buy it it's mine right right exactly and now that process of what we went through with Hoptoad has changed my opinion on that in that it's better to be safe than sorry um and it's not that expensive or difficult to do a, a rudimentary trademark search and then even to get the actual trademark once you do it um it's a it's a you know, a couple, another couple thousand dollars. And it's not worthwhile to go through that actual process for every individual product you do, but to have done the search is certainly worthwhile. And then once you get, uh, if you know that it's free and clear, then once you do get some traction and have, and can justify the additional expense of actually registering the trademark, it's probably worthwhile. Yeah. It does seem like a healthy exercise because uh, like you said, you don't have to do it for every product you have, but doing it for the ones that really matter. Like, so in your example with Hoptood, it was your first uh, app out there. It was pretty uh, widely used. I know that I've used right. it for years and uh, 
when the name changed were like what the crap. So then you got domain name changes, you got gems out there, you got a reversion and point to different places, and it's just a mess. Right. You probably had yeah. a support nightmare. So I can only imagine what you had to go through. So I mean, just so just because of that thing, like that was pretty important to your business and pretty important to your day to day activities. So having that secure is is a wise thing. Right. And and you never actually know what the circumstances are gonna be. So you know, at the same time as that naming stuff was going on, just as it was, we had already made the agreement that we were going to rename the app to Airbrake, which is the new name. Um, we had already made that agreement. It was going into effect and we were going to need to switch the name and everything was going with off without a hitch. Uh, we started to have conversations about selling Airbrake. And uh, it's just one more thing that we had to deal with in terms of making sure that the people who were buying it knew uh, the issue, that it was resolved, but that they were going to have these certain obligations to releasing the name Hoptoad and never using it and what limitations they were going to have around using the frog uh, logo and those kinds of things. And so it was a potentially complicating factor in that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, because Airbrake looks pretty pretty much like Hoptoad did, except for some of the color changes, but right. essentially the same aesthetic and UI. Not not a huge difference, right? Yeah, we needed to change the logo and the name. Yeah. And that, that was that was really the issue. Cool. I mean, that's that's a that's the bummer, I guess, of building successful things, right? <laughs> so let, right. let's let's talk about that then. So building successful things, it seems like you've been able to bet on the right technology, bet on the right kind of people, um, and build the right kinds of things at the right time and get the right traction. Maybe you're just lucky or you just really know much more than we do, Chad. So what's, what's, um, you know, what's your secret sauce to, I guess, hiring the right kind of people, finding the right kind of talent to build your business? I think that doing things with intention is, is important. Um, and not, and not compromising is really important. So, it's one thing to really try to do things with intention. It's an, it's another to realize what things are important and to not compromise on them. So hiring really great people and, and not compromise, being okay with not hitting that goal or not um, meeting that milestone when you couldn't meet something that was really important. So, you know, for example, we only, we write, we only hire designers who, uh, can both do visual design and implement their designs in HTML and CSS and work inside of a Rails app. Um, uh, many the designers run the tests. They, you know, they're full stack designers. They're quote unquote unicorns. Hmm. Um, yes. So right now that, that has been really important to the way that we work. And so, but it's really hard to hire those people. And that's just one small example of where like, we believe that it's important, and so we don't compromise on it. And it causes us to be able to build and work products the way that we want and work the way that we expect to work, even if it means that oftentimes we're short-staffed on design side or we can't take a project because we don't have the right number of designers or all our designers are booked or those kinds of things. And we would rather turn those things down than... Uh, then compromise on something that we think is really important. That's just one example of of that. Uh, you know, another is sustain, working sustainably and enforcing a forty-hour work week, 
and um, and um, we don't do that anymore. But that was one of those examples of a strong opinion loosely held, where we are going to enforce a forty-hour work week. People aren't allowed to work more than forty hours because we've been in bad situations ourselves. Many of the people who work at Thoughtbot have come from startups where they feel that they were taken advantage of or they worked long, hard hours against milestones that were arbitrary and just don't matter. Um, And so we try to create an environment which is pragmatic, realistic, does great work at the same time as staying sustainable and and working the way that we want to work. I mean, I I like this notion you have of this strong opinion loosely held because it seems like it's, definitely been something that I've been hearing repeating more and more from you as, as something that's been a part of helping you be successful because it's good to have strong opinions, obviously, but at the same time, they're not always the right opinions forever and they're going right. to change and things do change. So you, you mentioned, you know, one example was, you know, 40 hours. You're right. I've, I've, I know developers myself that um, have been burned or are getting burned by working too many hours and that's not good for anybody it's not good for you and your goal is to to run thought body your business and it's not good for them to enjoy their life to be healthy to have a family to have family time like you know we're doing you know to to kind of throw back on that a little bit we're doing this show a little bit earlier in the daytime because normally i do the show it it's convenient for me at five but uh for you you're a family guy you know you don't want to work more than 40 hours so we got. Uh, I'm just kidding with you on that one, but uh, <laughs> but we got. <laughs> well, you the reality show. is, I do work more than forty I hours. I bet. I bet. But, um, no, but but being home with my family uh, for dinner as as often as possible is sort of something that's very important to me. So I come in around nine every day uh, to the office. I leave as close to five as I can so that I can get home and have dinner. And put the kids to and play with the kids, put them to bed, and then I usually work for a, an hour or two after they're in bed yeah. um, to catch up on the day. Especially now that we have an office in San Francisco, there's still people online at that time, and uh, maybe can work with them a little bit. Those kinds of you, things. You absolutely have to respect that. That's that's uh, that's for sure. I mean, who can be upset with a family man? You know, I mean, that's just that's just good stuff, <laughs> man. That's good stuff. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about open source. I, I know, yep. uh, early on we talked about the color red and rails and the significance of that to your, uh, you know, your present time now, but it, you know, obviously rails is open source, so you can, you can do that. But it seems like, um, open source has played a huge role in, I guess, maybe the developer adoption of your own software and maybe some of um, maybe some of the new things you guys have teed up now, like your podcast, your blog, uh, Learn Prime, all these right. things that kind of have spawned off of your adoption of the community. So the community supporting what you guys have, have done, contributing to that. Um, you know, what do you know about open source and your business? Like, for example, uh, investing in open source. I've heard, we've talked about this a little bit on the show a couple of times with certain founders who have been on the show that have really invested in open source, but what has it meant for you and ThoughtBot to, to invest in open source as heavily as you have? Yeah. We, we've always contributed and, and released as much as what we do uh, as open source as possible. So it's always been part of our nature. Um, it's been very nice that it has such positive side effects um, because we would do it anyway. 
And it would be much harder to justify if it didn't have yeah. those posit- positive side effects. So uh, not only for like the new product stuff that we're like the products that we're doing and, and have done and the podcast and those kinds of things, but it, it helps just our core consulting business. The fact that the majority of Rails applications have something that we wrote in them. Uh, the majority of Rails developers use tools that we wrote means that and and respect the quality of it and enjoy using it means that uh, when they're talking to that founder or someone or the company that they work at is looking to bring on someone to help or launch a new product or do something, they have us in on their mind as a really quality team who knows what they're doing and can come on and use the tools that they use because we may have even written them. So a lot of the tools we work with are around test-driven development so or that we've created are around test-driven development so should a factory girl are are two examples of the 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 more popular ones and you know that's a very important principle to the way that we work is test-driven development and so the fact that we've created very popular open source around that that a lot of other people who are doing test-driven development also use means that when people who want to do test-driven development are looking to work with a firm, they know that we do it and that we practice it and that we're, you know, good at it. Like we know best practices and those kinds of things. They become authoritative and they become an authority. Right. Yeah. Um, And the other factor is, you know, it has obvious benefits in our core consulting business because, by being able to, so we write an authentication library called Clearance. Very, very bare bones. Uh, very, quite opinionated. Um, it is the smallest possible thing we can make it by while still staying useful. But the fact that we can get a Rails app uh, completely set up with a user system with authentication uh, in five minutes by using suspenders that includes Clearance, um, you know, just by running a script. And have that system up and running saves us an enormous amount of time and, you know, lets us do a better job for our consulting customers. So in the same way that Rails allows us to do a better job, we like to give back so that ourselves and other people can do a better job on every level of the stack. You've said a couple of times your core consulting business. Can you talk about... I guess the the various diverse areas now that uh, it's 10 years later and your five locations and things have changed in 2012 to make you shift your business from 20 to you know 63 what different pieces of business do you have now So right now we have uh the consulting uh we have learn which is uh, uh umbrella where we're really treating it as a cohesive product that contains not only our blog um, and podcasts, uh, but everything that we write, everything that we teach. So we've been doing workshops in person for years. We've brought a lot of those workshops online. And we now have a subscription service uh, to everything we teach. So our workshops, um, our screencasts and books we've written, and we also have uh, mentorship. So people can uh, become a subscriber. They get mentored by a ThoughtBot developer. They can take all of our workshops, both online and in person. They get access to a forum with all of ThoughtBot and all designers and developers on it, as well as all the other subscribers. And uh, they get access to a chat room. 
that we're in. Um, and so we're sort of like having ThoughtBot in your back pocket. So the people who subscribe to that are sort of in main t- two main groups, people who are want to learn development. And so they go through, they start beginning, they have a mentor. We help them uh, go through one-on-one um, the workshops, making sure that they're progressing well and answering questions for them um, and progressing as a developer. All the way to more experienced developers who go on a lower tier plan and are in it to have a sort of in their back pocket. Maybe they're working as a freelancer and boy, it's really helpful to be able to jump on the ThoughtBot forum and ask a question, not only about uh, rail stuff in general, but Hey, I want to ask the author of factory girl, factory girl question uh, because I'm having this problem or don't know how to use it. Um, That's really valuable. And so freelancers uh, it's very easy for them to justify the, the subscription cost. Hey, I didn't know that you had the Prime with with mentoring now, which has got your face there, which is great. Yeah, we we just started that a couple uh, three weeks ago. Wow, okay. And I think the last time and I we just called it out on the website uh, yesterday. Actually, we just did a ploy, which really calls out the mentoring as its own separate plan level. Um, and so we have Prime, which is ninety nine dollars a month. That includes everything that we teach, uh, but no mentor, no one on one mentorship. You still get um, real-time video chat calls with, in, with the workshop instructors and, um, and other kinds of things, group mentoring kind of things. Um, but the one-on-one mentoring is, is another plan level. And then we have a $29 a month plan, which is just screencast, books, the forum, uh, chat, um, those kinds of things. So the... The with mentoring is is pretty interesting. I'm sure you get a lot of, or you're expecting a lot of questions about this, not just from me, but from, from others. Um, you know, and you also mentioned the forum and having access to, to um, you know, the rest of the Thoughtbot team, and kind of how we got to here was by me asking you about the different areas of business that you're in now. Oh yeah, and I'm wondering like, how in the world do y'all stay busy, or not stay busy, but get things done? With, um, I mean, how do you divide the team up and time up to, to support Learn? So the cons- so we have three. Uh, I work on Learn half time, uh, part time. You know, half of my time is spent on Learn, um, and we have two other people besides me who work on it full time. Yeah. And so, and we are sort of like incubating the product, trying to make it something significant. Um, we've been working as a team on that since, uh, the beginning of the year, basically. And we launched prime in, uh, 20, uh, in February, uh, we soft launched, we launched it to the public in March. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been growing ever since, um, the, in addition to the core group of people who work on learn and prime, we also have the workshop instructors. So the workshop instructors, the workshops are two days long, the in-person ones. Uh, so they take time off of consulting to do the two-day workshop. And then on, every Friday, they also do office hours uh, over Google Hangouts for all the people who are taking the workshop online. So they get together with the people online. So we have uh, an extended group of people who spend uh, you know, several, a total of several days a month uh, working on the workshop stuff. Wow. And then we also do book. So we, we've written two books that are 
Public, Backbone JS on Rails, and Ruby Science. And we have several more. Oh, I gotta save that for the uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the super something super secret to reveal. Uh, but we have we're, we're, we're working we're, we're on that other Just books kidding. and screencasts yeah. and those kinds of things. And uh, and so people spent. So we only do consulting four days a week. Uh, Monday through Thursday uh, are is consulting, and the fifth day, which is usually Fridays, is what we call investment day. And so we work on open source, but we also do new product development. It's also just a time. Investment means not only investing in ThoughtBot and open source in the community, but investing in yourself as well. So if there's something new you want to learn, uh, something a book you want to read, uh, you know something new you want to explore, that's your time to do that's it. That's so cool, man. I mean, uh, I know you're a fan of Ryan Carson. When he was on the show, he they have something similar. That instead they have. Um, um, every fifth, you know, every Friday is off. Then they still do four right. day work weeks or whatever. But right. or somebody else being yeah. on the show too before saying every Friday was uh, dedicated to open source. I'm trying to recall who that yeah. was on the show. Yeah, we didn't always do the four day consulting, one day investment time. Uh, in fact, the majority of the very popular open source that we have was done where we just did it in between projects or people did it a little bit on yeah. their own time. Um, we've been doing the uh one day a week for maybe a year and a half two years now and it was just a it was a trend it was like okay let's try doing this let's like it was the right mode for our comp for what we wanted to do at the time and it's not open source is what we spend a lot of time on during that time but it's not just about that so people write books and learn new things and develop new products and new things as well. It's certainly got to help with context switching because that's what, that's kind of where I was stemming out with that question of the forum yes. and having yeah. access. And I mean, if you're constantly like, Oh, I'm consulting. And then now I'm in the forum asking, answering questions. And now I'm in, you know, should a source code to determine why this bug is there or why this isn't working right. This seems like it would be a bunch of context switching, but having the intention of the fifth day or, you know, what's off of yeah. us is a Friday dedicated to this seems like it really helps to divide the time very cleanly to say those four days consulting this day here investment you and us right and people when they are on a consulting project they really focus exclusively on that for the four days uh, most people don't work on multiple projects at one time so most it is our preference and the large majority of people are working full-time on one project and they work on that for several months and we try to for longer running projects we rotate teams so between two and four months you move to something new um, and we do that to keep things interesting and exciting for people to keep new to get new blood onto the team which brings a fresh perspective and the person to say like why are you doing it that way because <laughs> that's really valuable like when you're several months into it just to have that second set of eyes that just comes at it fresh and and maybe they learned something on the previous project they were on. They can bring it to this new one. Um, and uh, that's, so that's an important thing that we do that, that, that helps keep things exciting and fresh and, and, and progressing forward. So what are some of the fruits that you've seen come from Learn? And, and I've heard you call it a couple of different things. So help me with just, a, I guess, a brand perspective. Is it Learn? Is it Learn Prime? Or is it Learn Plus Prime? What is the name of, of yeah. this? So learn is 
the site is learn.thoughtbot.com. And learn, we have, we have a lot of things on that site. It's where you go to buy our books and screencasts and workshops. It's where you go to view our trail maps, which are uh, like we have a Rails trail. So it's learn.thoughtbot.com slash Rails. And that's where you go where you have a curated list of resources uh, that you can use to learn Rails. Most of them are free or very low cost, as well as a set of skills that you know. So if you're a beginning Rails developer, here are the skills you should know. Right. Intermediate, here are the skills you should know. And you can actually check those off. So you, when you know something, like when you know how the Rails router works or RESTful resources, you can check it off. We also have a companion iOS app where you can track that stuff and check it off as you go. So Learn is our site where all of our educational resources can be found. Uh, Prime is the subscription service that gives you, for a monthly fee, access to everything that we have there. So if I create an account and do the trail map for Ruby, let's say, for example... Is yeah. it the same account I'll use later on potentially to do a Learn Prime membership? It is, yeah. Okay. And you can you can have your own email and password, or you can auth with GitHub. It's the same account. And if you ever did just decide to upgrade, you just seamlessly upgrade. Sign up with GitHub just like that. You know, you see that a lot more, especially with, I mean, I, I'm, I love the fact that GitHub did an auth because, I mean, I, yeah. I think I kind of like compartmentalize my sign-ins. Like if it's mm-hmm. something I know I want to be social, I don't mind signing with Facebook, you know? Right. But right. Yeah, and for a site that's targeted to designers and developers, uh, GitHub login makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just makes it easy because you're, you're already, hopefully right. you're using GitHub, and if you're not, you're wrong. But right. um, it, it just makes it a lot easier because you're like, oh, this is a developer tool. I'm already in right. GitHub. And, you know, GitHub helps manage, manage those permissions. And plus, you know, potentially even, you know, writing back to GitHub for whatever reason, GIS or, you know, whatever you right. might want is, is a possibility. This is really neat, though. There's another reason why we do it, oh. which is our books are distributed via Git. So all of our books that we've released, we release them when we have a couple chapters done and the table of contents. And people buy them and they get access, they get added to the Git repo. And all the files there are Markdown, as well as the built version of the book. And so they can file GitHub issues. Uh, they can uh, you know, participate. They can comment on the book, on the pull requests. They can fork it. Um, and they can watch it being built. And they get all the updates, all via GitHub. And so by having the auth with GitHub, and if you choose not to auth with GitHub when you buy a book, we ask you to give your GitHub username, and we add you to the team. Um, and so that's been a really powerful mechanism that we've used it's relatively fresh and interesting, I think in the world of publishing. And, uh, it's been really exciting for us to do that. There's so much happening on GitHub, man. It, it kind of drives me crazy how much you can do with it. I think. That... Oh, and they're just super successful uh, <laughs> as well. Right? That also sort of drives you crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> come on. I mean, fail once at least, you know? <laughs> Just kidding. Right. I want them to be nothing but successful. I wish nothing but good, good stuff for all yeah. the people. That are yeah. Great team. I mean, um, you know, aside from doing this podcast, you also run the Change Log, which is, uh, you know, a blog and podcast focused on open source. So, I mean, I'm sure we've covered ThoughtBot uh, software on there plenty of times. And actually, not long ago, we had Phil up here on. So, we were talking about right. SAS and. Um, bourbon and, bourbon, and yep. neat and I mean, that kind of dovetails into your ability to name stuff. 
<laughs> Y'all got some crazy names. How does how does naming something come about? Is is it like a committee? Do you just like th- start throwing names out there? And is there some sort of methodology to come up with a new name? I think that so names are something we take actually fairly seriously only because uh, we we like them. Like we like things to have interesting names. I think naming while the name you ultimately choose doesn't really matter. Uh, having something that you respond to and keeps you excited to work on it. I think a name is important. Like when you, when you're starting a project, if you don't have a name for it, um, it might be hard to motivate uh, to, to really know what you're talking about and do those things. So we spend a lot of time naming. Usually it's uh, a person or a group of people has an idea for a name and then runs it by the group. Uh, but the other common scenario is someone is like, hey, I have this idea. This is what it does. Um, does anybody have ideas for names? And, you know, especially now that we're bigger, when those threads happen, you know, it's just tons and tons of suggestions come in. And and then people sort of cull the list and um, pick out something that they think is exciting. Um, so it's a fun process to watch and, and one that I really enjoy. Do you have any favorites? Just not so much softwares, but names that you've given to software? I actually, we were just talking about bourbon. I really like the name bourbon. And that one went through a transition in that it was originally called bourbon vanilla, um, which is not at all related to the alcohol. Like bourbon vanilla is the vanilla plant, uh, like pure vanilla or something is called bourbon vanilla. I don't even really know. But uh, at some point we were just like, this should just be called bourbon, like this is what it should be. This is yeah. a better name all around. And so I really like the name Bourbon and it, the number of plays that it has off of it. So we've added Neat and uh, Smash and Bitters. bitters yeah. and, um, so there's just so many things to play off of. Um, and I really like that name. Um, Paperclip is a great name. Um, and... Uh, Oh, what's what's a uh, oh hop toad so the way we found hop toad was uh hop toad is a like an early 1900s slang railroad term for when a, tr- a train car hops the track ah. uh jumps the track and or derails uh and so it was the perfect name for an exception capping application for rails and we actually found that name we had a sense that we wanted to name it something for like old timey railroad slang. And so we found on the internet, this giant list of old timey railroad slang. And we went down the list and just picked out the ones that sounded cool. And Hoptone was the one that jumped out, not only because it sounded cool, but it was very relevant to exception catching that it was a train derailing. So it worked out well. I think one of my, uh, if I have to pick a favorite, I think it would probably be, I like a lot of them, but I particularly like high voltage. Uh, it's pretty yeah. common, but just for what it does for a Rails app, I mean, it's pretty basic for the most part. Yeah, but static pages. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, that one is actually sort of just what you might think. There's that song, High Voltage. Uh, I, I forget the name of the group that did it. Um, but it was very popular when we were working on that, and we would continually paste the YouTube video into our campfire room <laughs> of this song. And so when it came time to name this thing, someone just chose the name High Voltage. And, uh, and, it, uh, and 
it fit because it's a static page generator. So static electricity, high voltage, and it was a popular song at the time. Actually, the song might be like Danger, Danger, High Voltage. Danger, yeah, that sounds, that sounds familiar. I didn't, uh, that's kind of neat, though, about the video being in your chat history like that. Just, yeah. Y'all have fun doing what you do. I mean, that's, that's the, I think that's the core thing is never to stop having fun, right? The moment work becomes work, it's like, uh, forget it, right? Right. It, you know, when you're in something for the long haul, when, when, when it's very important that this thing you're doing lasts and you realize that it's a marathon, you know, not a sprint, um, making sure that you, you are careful about what you do and you have fun doing it becomes really important to the way that you work. And, you know, work is work. There's times where, you know, if you walk into our office, it is not at all, people are often surprised when they come to visit us, how quiet it is. It is a library type environment where people, when they're working, they're all, First of all, a lot of the communication happens in chat, right? Because we, um, but people are focused, they're working, and they're very serious about the work that they're doing. But then the whole office will all of a sudden erupt in laughter uh, because someone says something <laughs> in in the, funny in the chat right. room or or whatever. And so we have fun, but we take the work we're doing very seriously, and we realize that you the harder you work and the better you work in the time that's work time, the you know, better you can have fun when it's not work time. And as long as boundaries are set up, you know, it's, it's, I think it's different for a company who's a startup company and they're working, you know, 20 hour days or whatever. They need to have that foosball table. They need to have that undrunk beer in the fridge to have the air of being fun or to induce a a fun atmosphere. Um, When you set up boundaries uh, about work and play and all those kind of things, it frees you up to, actually have fun with the work that you're doing absolutely there's a i could definitely talk to you about this other topic for quite a while which uh now i just kind of lost what i was gonna say i totally don't know why i gapped (laughs) it um what was it um oh it's gone i don't know why it's gone but uh okay is there I'm kind of angry about that now because it was a good topic and I just totally lost it listening to you there. And I was like, oh, gone. But uh, um, is there anything else you want I just wanna... had you mes- mesmerized. Yeah. And I mean, no, I think it's – oh, that's – I'm glad you said that because uh, that's what put the thought back in my mind, which is you guys have become a distributed company, originally a localized company where everyone, everybody worked in the same office. And it is the same, but now you have multiple offices – and you mentioned how you know everybody's in chat, so it's a really tough divide whenever you have in office people and then some external people, but yet you yeah. all act distributed still yet, I guess in the way you operate as a company. How does that i mean you you just mentioned you know chatting and then everybody erupts in laughter right. so right. how how's that i guess uh change been since now you have five offices across the world time zones, all that stuff? How has that changed the culture and um in the company just communication well like i mentioned the when we decided to grow we we wanted to let the fear about what we were worried about guide us into the way that we would structure the company and making good decisions and so that has certainly been the case so the idea and what we're 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 really trying hard to maintain is that we have small offices 
no more than 30 people in each office. Uh, Boston's the only office that's even close to that right now. Um, that all work locally together. So local teams working with local clients in their local time zone all together. And collaborating on higher level ThoughtBot stuff um, across offices. But for the work you're doing on a day-to-day basis, it's either face-to-face with a local client, with a local team, or you know, not remotely across time zones, but like, you know, close by. Yeah. Um, and that has helped preserve the culture that we wanted and has pre- preserved the happiness level with the work and interactions that we were hoping to maintain. And so far it's going, I think, really well. Um, it has its certain challenges and we definitely don't do that 100% of the time. So when we started, you know, Stockholm and Denver are relatively small, they're relatively new. And so we are bootstrapping them a little bit with work from other offices. And so that has its pluses and minuses. The biggest plus is that new people we hire in Denver get to work with more established people and teams in Boston or San Francisco, for example. And so it's, you know, they're not thrown into something brand new on day one. Yeah. They're, they're, we're, they're working with an existing team. But it has its challenges across time zones, across locations. And we've done that before. In fact, one thing that I skipped in the history is we went through this period where um, my wife graduated with her Ph.D., and we, she went and got a job in Philadelphia. So we moved to Philadelphia. So I was working remotely from Philadelphia. We had Matt in New York with two people. We had a couple of people in San Francisco. We didn't have those as offices. Everyone was just working remotely to Boston. And so I worked remotely for three years as CEO and, and running the company. We had remote people. And, after, and it wasn't terrible. You know, it wasn't bad. We did a fine job. The work was fine. But it wasn't ideal. It wasn't making us... You needed to work harder at it. And there are so many things in software development that you have to work hard at. We got to the point where it was just like, you know, Chad's, mo- Chad's, Chad's moving back. His wife doesn't really enjoy her job as much as Chad wants to be in Boston. So he's moving back. Um, other people are starting to move back. Let's 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 go back to this. We've done it for a while, and it's just sort of tedious over time. Yeah, I remember your New York um, office. You had like just a couple people in there, and it was kind of like right quiet, and it it was weird. Like it had a different vibe. It wasn't quite you know, it was like one sliver of Thoughtbot basically. Right. They were remote people that who were actually you know they were they were like remote but they were co-located in the same place but they were really remote they worked on different projects because you know they'd be working on different projects so they didn't interact on project basis together and um you get lonely like i said it was it was fine but you got lonely over time um dealing across time zones being reliant on someone to deliver something that's several hours behind you is is difficult um you know, and we'd rather eliminate those dis- those issues and focus on having easier interactions uh, with people, um, so that we can um, just not be held up by those kinds of things. Now, that being said, I think that the nature of the way that we work and the business that we do. So we work with a lot of startup companies. We give them office space in our office, right alongside the designers and developers who are working full time as their tech team building their app. And so 
that lends itself to just like super in-person, same desk, um, you know, collaboration. Um, if we were a product company or if I was starting a product company on my own um, and building a team, I would almost certainly allow, you know, have remote work and probably build a remote team without an office. Um, but that's not what our business is. Uh, we're not a product company. We're a highly collaborative yeah. consulting company that builds software for other people and eliminating all the distractions, all the tediousness of that is really important to our clients and to us. And it seems like in the kind of model you've built, you can really, um, you, you can really leverage the rapid iteration that comes from like real time collaboration, like being able to sit, you know, with a stakeholder who you're building something with and kind of getting feedback constantly can have its pros and its cons, but the pros definitely outweigh it by the developer or the designer being able to ask in tandem these questions that ultimately truly define what it should look like and how it should work. So rather right. than getting two weeks or two months and a bunch of money wasted building the wrong thing, you can build the right thing much, much faster at a faster pace right. with greater happiness on both sides of the, of the fence. Right. And so much of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, scoff goes even just being way. able to, <laughs> even just being able to see that your clients maybe not ha happy today or, you know, isn't really feeling that thing that you made or isn't just, con is just confused about what's on screen that, you know, you can get those things when you're working remotely, but it's often overlooked or a much longer time cycle, um, and so it's really valuable. So we do weekly iterations, a very aggressive pace. So we're only doing four-day iterations um, because our week is only four days. Yeah. Um, so And we're, we're just iterating constantly. Um, we do, you know, it's not automated, but we do very close to continuous deployment on projects that are in production. Um, and so it's very aggressive, very iterative. And uh, we probably wouldn't be able to do that. In fact, when we were, we, when we had more people remote, uh, we used to do two week iterations. Yeah, four week iterations or four day iterations is uh, is it's like uh, super agile, right? <laughs> it's not. It's not quite. Uh, I mean, it's agile, obviously, but it's it's um, much quicker than the typical two week period. Right. Yeah. And you know we. Everything we do is broken down into individual features or stories. And so in reality, the weekly rhythm to what we do isn't so much um, a traditional like scrum iteration that people might know where you have like, we are working towards this milestone right. and it will be two month sprint. Um, it's more like we're going to do this feature. It's going to take us a day or it's going to take us a half a day. We're going to build it. It's going to go to staging. You're going to look at it. It's going to go to acceptance and it's going to go to production. And that process took a half a day or a day. And we do that over and over again. And every week we do a retrospective where we look at the previous week, how it went, how people are feeling, any risks or concerns about going into the upcoming week or things that we'd like to try differently or do better. And then we review the, the stories that we think will get done in the upcoming week. Um, so it sounds we really like, break like it down I Scrum. Level. I mean, except for the fact that you got your own thought about way of doing things. Yeah, and it's a shorter. Uh, you know, it's Scrum yeah. typically has, 
you know, two week or month or many month long sprints. Uh, whereas we're really breaking it down into the week or even down to the story level and focusing on that level. Sounds a lot like uh, a good example of a strong opinion, but loosely held. Yeah. And it's, it's changed dramatically. Like, you know, that's works for us now. It allows us to produce really great results now, but it is very different than what we did two or three or one or six months ago. You know, uh, it's, it's different. It continually changes, uh, based on the teams and our dynamic and getting better at what we do. So like I said, we used to do two-week iterations. Uh, we now do one week. Um, we used to have much more rigid like iterations and themes to the iterations and those kinds of things. And now we really operate more on a story-by-story, feature-by-feature basis. What is the business value? What is the... What is the? What are we trying to achieve? What is the hypothesis? Sort of. So taking a little bit from lean mentality and those kinds of things. Yeah, that's um, certainly smart. I mean, I, I was trying to find it. I just was uh, on your GitHub now. I could have swore you had a guide for product management using Trello. Um, maybe. It's- yeah, that's in. That's in the. I believe that's in the playbook. Um, so that's at playbook.thoughtbot.com, and the playbook is a book about just how we do everything, um, everything we do. Um, and we're actually in, ah, oh, this is another thing I have to save for the super secret thing. <laughs> uh, we're doing a major revision of that. And so while we're doing that major revision, there's a couple things that are a little bit out of date with the playbook that's online right now, but we're porting it over to the infrastructure that we use for our other books so that we can make EPUB and Mobi versions of it really easily. And um, and mark and use mark. Yeah, that would be nice if you open source that because I actually have that problem right now. <laughs> uh, write a markdown, you know, d- uh, dump out a PDF, Moby. And right. That, that's yeah. Please yeah. open source that as soon as possible. <laughs> that's that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, everything we everything we do is built on top of Pandoc right now. So we use Pandoc, which takes the markdown files and can convert to EPUB or Moby um, or HTML and other formats too. But so. Our, the tool chain we have is built around Pandoc, um, and we have some gems and Ruby scripts and everything to make that a little bit better to work with, to integrate with Git and GitHub. Um, and we probably will open source that eventually. Um, we take open source really, you know, sort of going back to open source, yeah. we take it very seriously. Uh, so we tend to incubate things. We generate a lot of open source, but everything that you see in the public went through a process of using it internally. Uh, for quite some time until we, we feel it's ready to be released and that we're ready to stand by it and support it and say that, you know, we use this on real things. Um, and we often try to use what we're releasing on two or three projects before releasing it so that we can refine it, refine what it is, refine what features it needs to have, remove features that we're not using in the real world, um, and then release. So, uh, this, you know, the tool chain that we use for the books is sort of in that mode. Like we're, we're aggressively changing it. We're figuring out what it needs, what it doesn't, what breaks, those kinds of things. So that when we do release it, we can, we can really stand be, by it and say, this is something people should use and that we're willing to support long-term. So you're, um, this is kind of a question in, in, uh, in tandem with you, but I was going through your commits on guides and I do see where, um, where the 
where Dan moved out the guy I was mentioning into Playbook, but now Playbook isn't is that open source? Because it it seems like it's not on your on your GitHub profile, right? It's so there's a new Playbook traditionally is not open source because there was nothing really to open source. It was like it it was free online. And it was just a bunch of HTML files, basically. Mm, okay. Um, so there wasn't really anything to, it was, and it existed before GitHub. Um, so, but now in the new revision, uh, we're moving it to Markdown files. Um, we're actively editing it. It's going to be copy edited and those kinds of things. And so when we release that, um, whether it's open source, right, will be is yet to be determined. We're we're talking about that internally now in terms of whether it's going to be open source or whether we're just going to have it under the same infrastructure as one of our normal books. Um, I, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably going to be open source. And, uh, now it has to be because I just said it on a podcast. (laughs) No, it doesn't have to be. Uh, (laughs) Hold you to it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, but, but yeah, so that's the current state of it. And it's, it's going under a, a major revision in terms of format and, and structure and content. So yeah, I like once it's ready, it'll be released. I like the fact that you guys have intentions like that because you know one thing that you can trust. And I think this is kind of where we'll 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 tail into the couple of questions here in a second. But one thing you can determine from that, whenever you look at the different things you work on that are that are open source, is that um, is that you plan like like they the intention behind it is very clear. You can trust something. So if it's got your name on it. You know, sure, you might earmark it as beta or, you know, not production ready or whatever you want to term it as, right. but you can probably determine that it's going to be pretty good or have some good opinions to, to follow through. So if you're someone who's new, learning, someone who's established, trying to, trying to level up, you can always lean upon the things you guys do and put out there as something to, to, to learn from and trust because you don't tend to put things out that, uh, that suck. And that's probably the easiest yeah. way to say it. Or even <laughs> we started that because in the early days of Rails, and, and you know, people did what they did, and there was a lot of forward motion, and I, I, you know, we, Paperclip wouldn't exist if the other file plugins before it, file upload plugins before it didn't exist. But there's a tendency, especially early on in the Rails plugin community, like people would write something and they'd release it the next day, and lots of people would start using it. And the code wasn't very good. It wasn't ready to be used. Um, and so that influenced how we went about it. Once we started to actually release open source, we really wanted to say, no, this we're using, and we're actively using this. We're using it, and we're, we're using every feature of it. It doesn't have anything that we're not using. And, um, and that hopefully the quality is really high. It's tested, those kinds of things. And a lot of open source especially at the time when we first got started in the Rails world, was not like that at all. And what we did in our attitude toward it was definitely a reaction to that. Um, being opinionated, it, like like I said, there's a fine line between being opinionated and being stubborn. But there's another, like, we run into a situation oftentimes where we'll have an opinion about what our open source should be that doesn't match what other people uh should have so for example clearance our goal for that is to make it the simplest possible authentication library that we can have that still has the features that we want and that we use on the majority of our apps so when we first released clearance it had a feature 
traditional, very traditional email authentication. So, oh, that's my alarm. Uh oh. That's a, that's my son. I recorded him. That is so my awesome. Five o'clock alarm to go home. Uh, but we have a couple minutes. It's okay. I don't need to leave right away. Um, so he, uh, so clearance had email confirmation functionality, and we started doing usability testing and building sites and real applications that didn't really need email confirmation. Email, password, login, use the site for the first time as quickly as possible. And the fact that the email address isn't going through this email confirmation step where you get an email and you have to click it in the email. Um, we determined that that wasn't necessary. It wasn't absolutely necessary for the majority of applications we were building. And so we, we removed it. Because we don't want anything in there that we're not actively using. And we also want to serve as a guide for what best practice application development might look like. So we also did a bunch of usability testing and found that the password confirmation um, box, so having accepting a password and then asking people to confirm it was unnecessary for signup. And so we also removed password confirmation as the default way of working in clearance. And some people don't get that uh, partly because that's their application needs that like, you know, their stakeholder or their boss or their regulations require that there be a password confirmation field. Um, but others, it, it's just that's the way that they've always expected things to work. And so when we deviate from that expectation, it unsettles them. And we just try to do the best job we can. And we really we do this intentionally, like we did user test, usability testing and those kinds of things around those changes we make. And we have our open source reflect the kinds of applications that we're actually building in, in the, in the real world. Yeah. Sometimes people require things for the silliest reasons. You know, it comes back to that, you know, you said it a couple of times on here. It's just that having a strong opinion is one thing, but then holding it very tightly is another. And I think that's just an example of like, we have to have it. Well, why? Uh, Because our competitors have it or because we think it makes the most sense. Well, let the, let the data reflect that. Or can we, can we, get you know not worry about that and get this really awesome feature that's going to be crucial to you succeeding in place instead you right know? exactly like, come on and when it comes to open source if someone really needs that functionality there's lots of other yeah. options for them so I, I you know i'm i'm happy when someone goes and says you know what this clearance or one of your other open source things isn't for me i'm going to use this other thing and here are the reasons why because that means that they've thought about yeah. it they've thought about it, they've evaluated it, and they said, I need this other thing, and here are the reasons why. Well, I've accomplished my goal, which is to make you think about the software you're building and try to build the best software you can. And um, so, mission accomplished. Yeah. Well, I know you got to, got to get running soon, so let's ask you a couple uh, traditional questions here for Founders Talk, which are always fun, always fun answers. So the first is, who is uh, who's a founder hero to you? Who's somebody who you've looked up to that um, that has just helped you guide your way. I really look up to Thirty Seven Signals and Jason Freed, um, and our companies are quite different. The way that we work is very different. So they, you know, really are into remote working. They're a product company. They were a consulting company. They transitioned to product, and uh, in many ways, we've doubled down on consulting. 
we sold Hop Toad, our most successful product, um, and focused on building the consulting business. Um, but I still really admire um, the culture, and they do what they've served as a model for me in what I've been talking about a lot of this episode, which is having an opinion, following it through, really sticking to yeah. it, not compromising when it, they feel it's important. And then changing opinion, changing design aesthetic, changing things and bringing new people on and exploring new ideas and always trying to be better. You know, say what you want about 37 Signals, but I truly believe that it's evident that they, they always try to do the best they can do and be better at what they do. Um, and again, you may not always agree with the results of that, but uh, I commend them for trying and, and use that as a model for how I operate. And then the other question we have, uh, which you've kind of teased out a little bit, so you've leaked out some some of this information possibly throughout the show, but yeah. let's click some of that up and, and mention it here. So what's on the horizon for you, for the team, for ThoughtBot? What's coming next that uh, you can mention here on the show today that no one knows about? I think that there are two things. So I've, I mentioned some of the product, like that we're actively developing new books, screencasts, workshops, um, you know, there's a couple things in the works that are, uh, you know, not far enough along where we, I want the ability to kill them if they're not good, but we're definitely going to do a a book on testing. Um, that's something that, you know, it's, we're known for it. We make a lot of the tools that are popular. It makes sense for us to write a book about testing. And so we have that underway. I have no timeline for when it's going to be out, uh, but we'll do it just like the other books we've done, which is when we feel it's ready and it's on the right path and we have a couple of good solid chapters, we'll put that out there and allow people to buy it and then they'll get access to the Git repo and watch us be able to write the rest of it. Um, That's definitely on the way and I'm super excited. It's been a long time coming and it's slow going right now. It's in sort of the early stages of like really the people who have written books before no it's a much harder than it seems and you go through this period where like it never seems like it's going to get done or progress and it's in that stage right now but we're going to do it because we sort of have to um it's calling to us the other thing is for consulting um we're going to continue to open more offices and so um you know we don't even have specific plans necessarily for what those where those offices are going to be or where, when they're going to open. But, uh, we're actively trying to bring people on who want to work with ThoughtBot, want to work open offices and the places that we're based on where we are now and the kinds of work we do, it should be fairly obvious the places we might be looking to open offices and in the future. So, you know, the major tech centers, major cities, uh, New York, Chicago, Austin, Texas, um, and other cities in the world, are really interesting to us and don't be surprised when you hear that we are moving to one of those cities. I'm always confused when people say Austin and not Houston when they, when they mention Texas, Austin's cool, but Houston's cool too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were in the very early stages and if people in Houston want to put together a coalition of people who want to work with ThoughtBot and who want to work at ThoughtBot, uh, that can, we can certainly be influenced. Wow. Okay. 
So if you're listening to the show and you're from Houston, make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool though. I'm so so proud of you, man. Like you and your team have done such a great job over these years and you know, I've I haven't been, you know, eagle eyeing you, but I've definitely been watching what you guys have been up to and I've always been um I've always looked up to you guys, uh you, your team, and you know, definitely keep that uh that that moral close to your chest where you know you have an idea of how something should work but uh and you have a strong opinion how it should work but you don't keep it so close to your chest that it's the only way to do things it seems like that's what's been the guiding force throughout your path and all the thought bot has become today so definitely appreciate you coming on the show chad and to you and your team thanks thanks for your dedication to being craftsmen being great at open source you know leading with intention and I mean, it's definitely been, um, I, you know, I, I definitely see it. And for those listening, if you don't see it, uh, take a closer look, go to learn.thoughtbot.com, see what they're doing there. Listen to the, to the podcast, which has always got some awesome wisdom on there as well. And, uh, in your ever flowing blog, I mean, you guys just kill it when you lead it, man. So thanks so much Thank for, you so uh, much. yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, come back next week listen to another show not sure who's going to make it on next week we're uh, got a couple people that are kind of seeing if they can make the, the the time slot but next week we'll be back so for now chad let's say goodbye goodbye thank you